Weekly. This week we take a long look at blending music and technology in the church while still staying fairly traditional. We have an interview with Pastor Richard Jordan, a pastor, musician, and webmaster who runs three musical websites. After the interview, we have the future of television and more tips for congregation websites. I have with me today Pastor Richard Jordan, a pastor who runs uh, three different websites, lutheranhymnal.com, gesangbook.org, and on jordansbanks.com. Welcome, Richard. Glad to be here. Now, you run three different websites, all of which are related to Lutheran music. So let's mm-hmm. start with Lutheran Hymn, the Lutheran Hymnal MIDI Project. Where did you get the inspiration for this project? Oh, that, w- that, that that's a simple thing. All you have to do is get Lutheran worship for the first time when it first came out and have an organist who is enthusiastic about Lutheran worship but who didn't like all the new melodies mm-hmm. and who would tell you after you had chosen the hymn, oh, the congregation can't sing that. So you need to have some tool for pastors to pick hymns effectively, knowing that the congregation can probably sing it. So that was the initial inspiration behind the project. Here are the tunes, here are the things, pastors pick things that congregations can sing, and that was all the focus on pastors. You know, that's how I, when I discovered the site, that's the way that I used it, is I kept getting complaints, oh, this isn't singable, and I couldn't read music, and or at least not very well, and so I would look at a hymn and I'd think, now, what tune is that? And so I could go listen to the MIDI and, oh, okay, that's it. So what software, oh, first of all, what went into creating the MIDI files? Oh. Did you enter them all by hand? The, the original MIDI files, we, we tried a variety of things to make them work. Mm-hmm. We tried MIDI Scan, which was scanning software that was supposed to be able to take pages of the hymnal that you scanned with your scanner and turn them into music. Supposed to. Um, it was 90% accurate, which meant that one out of ten notes was wrong. When you get a score like we have in the hymnals, that meant most of the notes are wrong. Hmm. And you spend more time editing than anything else. And so that's when I went to a keyboard and a MIDI sequencer so that I could get the notes to line up. Because while you can play them in, what we play and the music on the sheet, it doesn't match up exactly. And I thought it was kind of important because I knew that one of the things that the music was going to be used for is to reproduce the music mm-hmm. so that what I played had to kind of match up with exactly what's in the hymnal. And no musician plays that way, sure. where a quarter note gets a whole quarter. Sometimes a quarter note gets pretty close to a whole quarter, and a lot of time it gets a lot less. Sure. And that's what makes it musical. Mm-hmm. So the the first files were very rigid um, so that it would match up to the music because that was part of the thing to make certain. This is the way it's supposed to sound or close to it. Right. So what software did you find yourself happiest with? Well, back in those days, there were a variety of sequencing softwares 
but cakewalk was pretty much the standard. Okay. And so that's where I began, and that's basically where I stayed. Once you learn a piece of software really well, and they upgrade it, you look at the upgrades and say, hmm, yeah, I probably ought to buy it, ought to keep current. Mm-hmm. And then you discover that the old stuff works just as good and sometimes a little better. Yeah. So when I do sequencing, I still use version 3 of Cakewalk, okay. which is the first of the um, Windows 95 versions. And they went up to version 10, and then they changed the name of the software and went two or three versions past that. But that adds um, software for recording and sure. for mixing, and there's other software that works better for that. So do you see these files being used in other ways by congregations? Oh, well, see, that was the real embarrassing thing. The first distribution of the MIDI files went out in the days of the bulletin board before most people had access to the Internet. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of fun to discover that already way back then, they were traveling all over the world. Hmm. Um, it was also kind of fun to find out that lay people found them probably more interesting in pastors, and it was the lay people who would tell the pastors, here's a site, you need to go there, because it'll help you to pick hymns we can sing. <laughs> so how long have you been, I mean, when did you start this? This goes back to 1990. Really? That's yeah. when we finished TLH. Yeah, that's, I mean, that predates yeah. the World Wide Web by Well, it's it, about the time the World Wide Web, Web is appearing, and we were celebrating our well, we celebrated our 10th anniversary on the web this year. Yeah. Hmm. So we're kind of antiques. <laughs> well, fitting, considering the music that's being used. Do you uh, do you have any software or hardware recommendations uh, for congregations? Or how do you feel about using MIDI in services as accompaniment? It's one of the things that I've covered in our copyrights and permissions section. It basically says you don't get to use it if you've if you've got a musician, because okay. musicians are always preferred. Yeah, well, that's and, for sure. And it's not something to use in place of paying somebody. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, you find people thinking, "Oh, well, this would be much cheaper than paying our organist because they'd like five dollars more a week." Mm-hmm. And I don't approve of that at all. Okay. But I do know that there are churches that have looked hard to find an organist, and they just can't find one. Can't even find somebody to play the piano. And in those kind of circumstances, well, I'm not certain which works best. We have two kind of things that we look at. One is MIDI, mm-hmm. and I think I prefer MIDI more than anything else for anyone who has a certain technical aptitude. Mm -hmm. Because in MIDI, you can adjust the speed and the number of verses to however your congregation wants to sing it. Mm 
Sure. And I've discovered that there's no such thing as the right speed because each congregation kind of has their own comfortable speed. Mm-hmm. And if you play it too fast, they won't sing. And if you play it too slow, they won't sing. And so you kind of, if you adjust it, then you get the maximum singing because you don't want an obstacle to singing. You want something to encourage singing. Right. So I kind of like MIDI. Yeah. But if you don't have something good to play back MIDI on, then the instruments for MIDI can sound, well, not very good. Oh, yeah. One of the reasons why the MIDI files that we have on on Lutheran Hymnal are all piano is because usually about the best sound across the board on all the MIDI devices is they all have some sort of piano sound that sounds mostly okay. Sure. Not great. Not like a real piano. Mm-hmm. But it's not as bad as some of the general MIDI organ sounds, which sound like a loud harmonica <laughs> or other awful sorts of things and nothing like a church organ. Yeah, that's true. I have not personally heard uh, a MIDI organ sound that that actually sounded like a church organ. So, yeah, that's for sure. So have you had any joys or frustrations with this site? Any things that kind of jump out in your mind? I guess one of the most interesting things from my perspective, is to watch the number of people who visit it. And when we do the logs on it, to see how many countries of the world are coming. Sure. And you can't always tell, but most of the time, uh, the countries that have the nice Internet prefetches uh, Prefixes, so you look at AT and CH and FR and you say, oh, I can recognize those. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the list of all the countries and you usually have 40, 45 countries a day represented, including places where we can't send missionaries. Yeah. It's interesting to see a number of countries that are Islamic republics that have that visit the site and it's kind of I wonder hmm. why they're visiting interesting yeah that's something to think about have you done any work with like the commission on worship um, sort of official synodical kind of stuff no no I talk with them they sometimes tell me what things they don't like that I'm doing it's kind of a volunteer thing sure I had thought when I started it off that it was something, this is something the Synod ought to be doing. Mm-hmm. And it looks like with the new uh, Lutheran service book, they're going to do it. Yep. Um, but sometimes you have to kind of pave the way and say, here's an idea. And I think people will find it useful. And so that's kind of how we worked. So now chronologically, to my knowledge, the next site to come along was on jordansbanks.com. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that site. When I began arranging hymns, I be- began to discover that I had an awful lot of music. And if you're one of CPH's favorite composers and you submit a lot of music, um, they might get oh, 
10 or 15 pieces published in a year. Mm-hmm. And I had kind of gotten to the point where I had a catalog of about 300 pieces and CPH um, and most of the church publishers want to publish um, easy to moderate music. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought, why couldn't we have something a little bit more difficult? Historically, we've always had a wide variety of music, but the publishers these days are kind of shying away from the difficult music. Mm. So I said, well, I can do that, and we don't need to put a lot of money into it. We can make it available to the people who'd like it. And we also wanted to do something to make Lutheran music available so that people could listen to it at home. Yeah. And I've played in a number of bands over the years, play a variety of instruments, and kind of seemed like a nifty thing if we could have instrumental music um, and instrumental music so that you could use it as background music so that when you go into the pastor's office all these hymns are playing in the background Um, I kind of like to do that Mm -hmm. and I kind of thought there's nothing like that that enables me to do that and you turn on the radio and you rarely ever hear Lutheran music well let's do something about that Sure. And about that time, CPH had discontinued their 10-CD set, and it was kind of like, oh, now there's nothing. So we started up, and after we got it started, and after it began to kind of take off and people discover it, and people think it was pretty neat, and CPH began to notice um, people talking about our recordings, all of a sudden, their recordings got back in print, and I think that that's a great thing, because I'd much rather have all of these sorts of things that I do handled by the Synod rather than by me. I don't need to be in control of it. Sure. It just needs to be done. And so that's kind of how we got started on that. It's kind of stayed small. We've had a, a few other composers who've been interested and a couple of bands who've also been interested and we may have some of their works appear in the future but it's one of those things that it happens slowly and and we're really small potatoes in the publishing industry sure some of your music's available through cph and some of their collections no no no. None of it's through CPH. Okay. We, we we submitted some music to CPH that they thought was interesting, but it didn't fit with their publication scale okay. uh, schedule at the time. So and is we your music... Of... some of the other publishers and had a really interesting conversation with one of the principals involved in Morningstar. Uh, Morningstar is another church publisher, and the person who started that was... Uh, former CPH music person, Hmm. and he told me about, here's the downside if you are not doing it through the denominational uh, press, because the denominational press can get into all the churches, Hmm. and if you're not denominational press, there are a whole lot of people who never discover you exist. Mm -hmm. So is your music available through any other distributors or... um uh, download options, iTunes Store, eMusic, anything like that? Um, 
Not at present. We've looked at some of those things, but it hasn't fit with what we do very well. Okay. So is there, uh, with this site, have you had any joys or frustrations that stand out in your mind? Well, it's it's one of those kind of amazing things that there's basically no advertising budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, people hear about it by word of mouth, and then they write and say, wow, you've got all the hymns. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have all the hymns. There's still some more that are yet to be done. and. They seem to enjoy them. There are a number of congregations who have bought complete sets or partial sets, and they seem to be enjoying them. And, you know, it's nice to hear that congregations are finding them useful, but the messages I like to hear most are the lay people who buy them to listen to them at home because they appreciate Lutheran music and just want to hear Lutheran music at home. Hmm. Because basically what On Jordan's Bank and Lutheran Hymnal have in common, um, and it was one of those unintended consequences, is they're educational sites. Uh, Somebody's got to be teaching people about the heritage of our Lutheran chorales and exposing them to that music and giving them the opportunity to appreciate it. And for those people who have the um, caricature of the horrible church organist, the 80-year-old lady who can't quite see and who's got arthritis and plays everything either really slow or really fast with most of the right notes, and they say organ music is terrible and I wanted to give them something so that they could see that organ music didn't need to be boring and that church music could be interesting, interesting enough just to listen to by itself mm-hmm. and for those people who want to, to sing along. Okay. And the most recent project is gesangbook.org. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that project. Well, this is kind of the next generation because What we wanted to do was gather together a number of the German hymn texts, particularly ones that had been in our old old Lutheran hymnals when we sung in German, and those that preceded that, and kind of look at this vast heritage of Lutheran music that we don't have access to anymore. So we get the words up there, we get the music up there, and then we begin to index them to find which ones have never been translated so that over the next 20 years or so, we can gather people together who look at these texts and say, that text ought to be translated. That's a good text. It's a shame we're not singing it and get some people to come up with new poetic translations so that when we get to our next new hymnal, which hopefully will be long after I'm gone, (laughs) we'll have some new translations to go with it. It's one of the sort of things that when you begin to work with Lutheran hymnody, especially for those of us whose primary language is English, it's kind of embarrassing to admit how much we owe to the Methodists. (laughs) Because Catherine Winkworth was a Methodist. (laughs) And it's interesting to find that 
John Wesley was also translating Paul Gerhardt's hymns, and there are a number of other Methodists who were very active in translating German chorales. And for us American Lutherans, we still depend on this Methodist work, and it's, it's about time, I think, that we should do some of our own work. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things that when you read the history of the Synod, uh, they were convinced that when they went to English, the whole church would fall apart. Um, it hasn't, but we never did get back to looking at the German and to do the translations that still need to be done. And so the Zang book is looking forward saying, let's recover part of this heritage and let's encourage the best in Lutheran hymnody and let's get back in touch with our roots. So how's this project progressing? Do you have many people helping you out? Um, we have a variety of people who help from all over the world, which is a really strange thing to kind of manage people from the Far East to Europe to the United States and hmm. have us all working together on a project all at the same time. It, it moves slowly, but it moves. And to reach the goal of the 100,000 or 10,000 hymns with melodies and some translation, um, kind of thinking it's probably a 30, 35-year project. So somewhere along the line, I guess I'm going to have to look for the person who carries it on after I can't do it anymore. Sure. So you're pretty busy with these three projects. Do you have any other projects on the horizon? Oh, I have all kinds of projects. <laughs> it's one of those things that you collect projects, and then God kind of steers you, and the ones that he thinks are important, well, you make progress on those. And there are all kinds of other things that kind of sit on the back burner, and maybe sometime it'll be time to work on them. One of the things that somewhere along the line I'd like to finish is I began a commentary on Hebrews and got about 1,500 pages done. There's still a lot more to do. Wow. And I'd like to do a commentary on John, but haven't even begun work on that. Funny thing is that the hymns were never my primary interest, but it was something that seemed to be needed to be done. And I talked to people, and they say, "Yeah, it ought to get done." And I'd say, "Well, do you want to do it?" They say, "Oh, I could never do that." And so, <laughs> kind of step in and say, "Well, I'll do it." And when I can find somebody better who will take it over, then they can have it. <laughs> well, that wraps up today's interview. I'd like to thank Pastor Richard Jordan for being our guest today. You can find his projects at lutheran-hymnal.com, on jordansbanks.com, and gasangbook.org. That's G-E-S-A-N-G-B-U-C-H. And you can find those links at lcmspastor.com in case you forget how to spell gasangbook. All right, thank you, Richard. Thank you. And now it's time for the product suggestion of the week. Today's suggestion goes back to the video podcast idea. Further reading indicates that the processor in currently shipping iPods is not enough to run video. That said, here's what I see for the future of television. Look at the iTunes Music Store, especially the podcast area. Imagine, instead of mostly audio, you see TV shows there. 
some you have to pay for, and you can pay to watch a single episode or subscribe to a TV series. You can watch a sample episode or part of one for free as a demo, and pick and choose your shows. If you miss one or more episodes, you can still go back and download those episodes to a PVR or TiVo device, or even a media-dedicated computer hub. If you don't want to pay for your shows, you can get versions that have ad banners running across the bottom of the screen. No more commercials as we know them now, since people are already skipping past them. The Disney Channel already runs ad banners on their programs, mostly to advertise upcoming shows, but it wouldn't be much different to see ads for various other products from sponsors. Now, current TiVos already have a lot of this functionality, but by using broadband connections, not only would this make for the ultimate pay-per-view movie availability and the ability to watch any episode of any show anytime you want, it would also allow amateur video to be made widely available the same way podcasts are now. So what about places where no broadband is available, such as right here in my home? The system will all but eliminate conventional TV programming, so the cable companies and satellite providers need simply convert their systems over from the current systems to dedicating more bandwidth to their internet areas. Instead of paying $60 a month per 50 channels, the consumer pays per show or season and maybe a small flat monthly fee in addition. All these new converter boxes are mass-produced, production costs would decrease, and the price would drop on the hardware, which is the biggest problem with satellite broadband. What does this mean to the church? You can make your services, Bible studies, whatever else you have, available on video to the world. Now, here at St. Paul's, we currently make VHS copies of our services available to shut-ins. But with this system, all they'd have to do is subscribe to the feed, and when the new service is uploaded, their TV system would automatically download it. Now, granted, the 95-year-old shut-ins here don't have TiVos, nor will they be interested in a system like this. But this will take at least a few years before the networks are ready to sign on to make it viable, and it'll be five to ten years before it's widely distributed. Last week I talked about how important a lot of content is to your website. But if you want people to return to your site, you need dynamic content as well, something that changes periodically. A weekly sermon is a great idea. Other sites, like Answers in Genesis and Old Lutheran, provide content that changes daily, and all you have to do is paste some code onto your page. I'd love to see an RSS feed of Lutheran News, but I haven't seen one yet. There's another product suggestion for you. The closest thing right now would be Paul McCain's blog, which I believe can be read as an RSS feed, so you just have to use a JavaScript to insert it, and those scripts are freely available from sites like hotscripts.com. If you have a tech tip, call our voicemail line at 206-339-7909 and leave a message. Your tip could be our next tech tip of the week. This podcast is brought to you free of charge. That said, my wife and I are hoping to adopt an orphan or two from Ukraine in the next year or two to give them a Christian home, and are raising money to make that possible. If you'd like to help make that happen, you can make a donation, purchase through our affiliate links, or send us your used inkjet cartridges. You can find more information at www.myheartsjoy.com. And while any and all help is appreciated, you are under absolutely no obligation. I'm happy to make this available to all regardless, and appreciate you listening. Thank you. Well, that closes the book on another Lutheran Weekly. Remember that you can post comments on our forums at lcmspastor.com slash forum and ask questions of upcoming guests. Your questions will be read on the air during the interview. If you'd like to leave a voicemail to be aired on the show, you may call 206-339-7909 to leave a message. Thank you, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.